I hate clothes, okay? I hate buying them. I hate picking them out of my closet. I can't stand every day trying to come up with little outfits for myself. I think eventually fashion won't even exist. It won't. I think eventually we'll all be wearing the same thing. Because anytime I see a movie or a TV show where there's people from the future or another planet, they're all wearing the same thing. Somehow they decided this is going to be our outfit. One piece silver jumpsuit, V-stripe and boots. That's it. We should come up with an outfit for Earth, an Earth outfit. We should vote on it. Candidates propose different outfits. No speeches. They walk out, twirl, walk off. We just sit in the audience and go, that was nice. I could wear that. What is this? This is beautiful. These jackets never fit me right. Try it on. This is soft suede. This may be the most perfect jacket I have ever put on. Oh, man, that is a beautiful jacket, though. What's with the pink lining of the candy stripes? Well, it's just the lining. You can always have it changed. Should I get it? I hate these moments. I'm hearing the dual voices now, you know? What about the money? Well, it's money. <laughs> it looks wonderful on you. Let's, let's just go, all right? I can't believe it. we're having dinner with Alton Bennis. I know exactly what's going to happen tonight. I'm going to try and act like I'm not impressed. He's going to see right through it. Yeah, he'll be looking at us like he's backstage at a puppet show. Let me just get my jacket. Master of the house, keeper of the inn. This is huge. When did this happen? Wednesday. This jacket has completely changed my life. When I leave the house in this, it's with a whole different confidence. Like tonight, I might have been a little nervous, but inside this jacket, I am composed, grounded, secure that I can meet any social challenge. Can I say Hey, morning, everyone. Uh, my name is Van. I'm the uh, head pastor here, lead pastor here. And, uh, you know, if nothing else happens today, if the sermon's flat and the worship is all off key, at least you got to see a Seinfeld clip at church, and that ought to make you feel good. Uh, how many of you have ever got purchased something new, like a new clothing article, like Jerry did, and, and it just made you feel really good? I mean, you got this new thing, you're wearing it, you feel good in it. Anybody? Anybody? Yeah. Okay. All of us just about have done that, haven't we? Um, uh, uh, other things that can boost our confidence, like um, maybe I got a good grade on a test, and, and I worked hard on it, and I got this good grade or a paper that I wrote, or I had a commendation at work, or uh, maybe, maybe bring it over into the spiritual realm a little more. Maybe I read the Bible seven days in a row. Have you ever, have you ever had like a season like that where you're, you're trying to develop more consistency in some spiritual discipline, and you do for a period of time, and it just makes you feel so good and so confident about yourself? Anybody? I mean, I, I know I've done that. And, and, and I've also read about how we don't want to rejoice in our self-discipline. We want to rejoice in Jesus. It, it's not about 
me exercising self-discipline and having the willpower to do certain spiritual things. It is about me rejoicing in a heart-to-heart relationship with Jesus. And in this message, uh, in this continuation of this short series, Why Are We Here? When we really understand the reason that we are here, then we begin to understand why we need more than just externals as our encouragement. You know, later in the show, um, Jerry and George and Elaine are out to dinner with Elaine's father, who's a kind of a powerful guy that's written books. I think he's a former military guy. And George and, and Jerry obviously are intimidated by him. However, George, uh, Jerry's entering this uh, dinner very confident because of his jacket until Elaine's father saw the pink stripes on the inside. And when he saw that and he made some derisive comment about the pink stripes inside, then Jerry totally loses his confidence and is just totally deflated and hates the jacket. You know, not, not only does he not like this jacket anymore, he hates it. And when you and I find our confidence and our strength in external things, whether it's our own external behavior, you know, based upon self-discipline, or whether it is just something good that's come into our life, what we're really doing is allowing our peace and our joy and our confidence to rest in our circumstances. And, and we find our strength in our circumstances. And, and what Jesus wants us to do is to find our strength in him. He, he wants to give us a strength and a confidence that arises out of a deep heart, inner relationship with him. And when you look at our purpose, why are we here? What are we doing here? And last week I talked about why are we here? Meaning why are we here as a church body? What's God's purpose for us specifically here in, in Colerain on this west side of town? And when you look at the broader picture, what is the church, the body of Christ here for in the world? Why are we here? And we look at the mission of Jesus, and Jesus made it pretty clear. He said that the Spirit of the Lord was on him. So first of all, Holy Spirit power is needed to complete this mission, the why we are here. And then he said this. He said in these words, something like this. He said he was here, sent here to heal the sick, to free the demonized, to set free captives, people who are captive to sin, people who are wrapped up in things that's destroying their lives, and to proclaim God's goodness, to proclaim the favorable year of the Lord. And the church takes up that same mission. That was Jesus' mission. And what he left us here to do was to fulfill his mission. And so you and I are here, not only individually, but collectively as a body. We are here to complete the mission that Jesus started. Jesus laid the the groundwork. He won the beachhead. He gives us now the power and the authority to carry on his mission. And to carry on that mission means that we're involved in a struggle between light and dark. We're involved in a struggle between the kingdom of light and the kingdom of darkness. And as the church, we are called to push back the darkness. And we do that, how? We do that by healing the sick. We do that by freeing the demonized. We do that by proclaiming release to those who are caught up in sin and the guilt of sin and the addictions that come with sin and all the life brokenness that comes with our sin in this world. 
And so we desperately need the power of the Holy Spirit. And we desperately need more than encouragement that comes through our uh, at-the-moment circumstances. And so, so today what I want to do is look at um, a passage from John chapter 1. I want to look at, at, at this concept of discipleship. Uh, the, the disciple is not just someone who does things externally. It's not about external conformity, but it is about internal change. And in case you haven't heard that word before, disciple, uh, that's a, a Bible word that refers to someone who is a learner. And the word disciple actually in, in Greek means learner, means a student. And so disciple used in uh, this New Testament context refers to someone who tags along with another person or follows another person in order to learn how to do life from that person, in order to learn how, 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 how should I live life. And so you could have a disciple, uh, a young married person could be discipled by an older married person. And that older married person is not just going to give them information, but it's going to actually show them how do you actually live in a, a healthy, loving marriage relationship. Well, Jesus had disciples, and his disciples were following him to learn how they could know God at a heart-to-heart intimacy level so that they could take part in this mission to bring the kingdom of God into this world and to push back the darkness. And for us, as we ask ourselves, well, how can I have an intimate relationship with Jesus that is an inner motivation where my joy and my confidence comes from inside out of relationship with him? And I think we're going to get, get some um, pointers from looking at this passage. So it starts off in John 1. Uh, a guy named John the Baptist has come on the scene. And John the Baptist was the last of the Old Testament prophets. And he came proclaiming that the Messiah that Israel had been waiting for for centuries, literally, they had been waiting for centuries for this Messiah to come. And the Messiah is going to bring the kingdom of God. And John the Baptist came saying, get ready because the Messiah is on the doorstep. He's almost here. He'll be here soon. And so John naturally is stirring up a lot of, uh, a lot of uh, activity and, and creating a, a lot of a, attention being drawn to his message. And he has disciples. There are people tagging along with John the Baptist. But the important thing to recognize is the people tagging along with John the Baptist were not ultimately following John. They were there with John waiting for the Messiah. They were there with John, the prophet John, looking for the Messiah. And so here's what happens when John identifies the Messiah. It says in John 1.35, here's what we read. The next day, John was there again and uh, with two of his disciples. And when he saw Jesus passing by, he said, look, the Lamb of God. When the two disciples heard this, they followed Jesus pretty simple, isn't it? John's starting off his day with two of his key disciples. And as, as John is going back to the same place he's been recently, baptizing people, he's seen Jesus there before. Now Jesus comes by and John says, I think one of the translations uh, says, behold, I, I kind of like that. It makes it more regal and, and like a presentation, but behold, the lamb of God, 
You know, here is God's Messiah. This is the one I've been telling you about. And notice what these two disciples of uh, John did immediately. Immediately. They walk away from John and they follow Jesus. I don't even know if they say goodbye to John. It makes it sound like they, they heard John say that and they both just kind of stumbled off. You know, oh, there he is. There he goes. Let's go. And they followed him. And it really leads us to a point that I heard made in a message that our small group listened to by uh, a guy named John Wimber, who was the founder of the Vineyard Movement. And uh, he was talking about a couple of different passages, but he looked at this passage and he said this. He said, we have to see Jesus. First step in discipleship is you have to see Jesus. You have to see him. I have to grasp something of his beauty and of his goodness and of his purpose and of his life. And somehow these two disciples, when John, and, and probably a lot, of, a lot of them seeing Jesus depended upon their confidence in John himself, John, John the Baptist. They had spent time with him. They know he's a prophet. And so when he says this is the Messiah, it's just natural for them to believe him but they're also seeing something themselves. So when they saw Jesus, they saw something in him that was enticing, that made them want to follow him. You see, Jesus, filled with the Holy Spirit, carried an atmosphere with him everywhere he went. Everywhere he went, God's presence went. And where Jesus came, he brought God's presence with him. And so there, there, there would have been just this tremendous appeal to anyone that had an open heart. And that's really what it takes is an open heart, an open mind, can put it that way. It takes a willingness to risk, to step out, because they're walking away from one, one unknown person to follow another unknown person. But you and I have to see Jesus. That's, that's where it begins, when I see Jesus. Now, it continues and is, is really brought to a whole new level when I see Jesus, but then, uh, well, look at what happens next. Let's just read what happens next. John 1, 38 and 39. So here's what it says. Jesus saw them following him and asked, what do you want? I uh, have no idea what inflection or how he said that. I would imagine it was a friendly, inviting tone. But uh, what, what do you guys want? And they said, Rabbi, which means teacher, where are you staying? Come, he replied, and you'll see. So they went and saw where he was staying. And look at this. They spent the day with him. So they see Jesus, and they start following Jesus. But then the second thing that happens here is this. Jesus sees them. And as a disciple, as a learner, I not only have to see Jesus, but I have to be seen by Jesus. And there's almost a way in which we could say, I have to see Jesus seeing me. I have to see him seeing me. And there's something that happens when I see him seeing me. There's like this eyes meeting type of a thing where there's a heart to heart thing that a connection that takes place at that instant in time where 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 the life of Jesus is transferred where we experience salvation but I see him seeing me and when that happens my heart opens up all the more and when that happens I see 
how he sees me because I can see it in his eyes. I see what he thinks of me because I can see it in his eyes. I see that he's welcoming me because I can see it in his eyes. I see that he's been seeking me. I haven't just been seeking him. He's been seeking me because I can see that all in his eyes. Have you ever um, watched a movie? Uh, Lori and I are watching this series right now, Downton Abbey, which is a British-made series. And um, it's all this drama and stuff about romance and who's, you know, who loves who and who's going to marry who. And there are points at which in, in shows like that, maybe you've seen a show like that, where you see two people at the train station or maybe at a party and one of them is looking at the other one. And you can see in that person's eyes that, boy, they, 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 they just, they, they love this person and they long for this person. And you know the other person really longs for them and loves, loves them also. But just as this first person turns their head away in this scene, that's just when the other person turns their head up and looks. I mean, have you ever seen that? Do you know what I'm talking about? Okay. And, and I always look at that and I think, oh, if, if, he had, if, if he or if she had just held, just stayed, kept their eyes that direction, just another five seconds, their eyes would have met. And they would have seen each other seeing each other. He would have seen her seeing him. She would have seen him seeing her. And there's something that happens in our hearts and in our lives when that happens. And, and this, is, this is very spiritual. I mean, in this case, for, for these disciples, they actually saw Jesus. They were there physically with him. But there is a sense in which you and I see Jesus today, you know, as we're worshiping. The Holy Spirit opens our minds and we see Jesus. And we need to see Jesus seeing us. And there's a sense in which when I open up the Bible and I'm reading the Bible and the Holy Spirit speaks to me through it, uh, there's a sense in which I'm seeing Jesus at that moment. And I'm seeing him see me. I'm seeing him look into my heart and into my life. And I'm seeing the love in his eyes. But as well, Jesus in us, Jesus in you, and Jesus in me. There have been people I've met that when I spoke to them and I looked into their eyes, I saw Jesus there because Jesus is in them. And when you and I recognize that, when I recognize that there's this new heart Jesus gives me, he changes me and gives me this new heart, and then he lives in me. I mean, the Holy Spirit lives in me. And the Holy Spirit reveals Jesus in me and through me. You know, Jesus himself said about himself, he said, I am the light of the world. I'm the light of the world. But then, you know, in another place, he said to, to his disciples, you are the light of the world. Now, how could it be that Jesus is the light of the world, but then at the same time, you and I are the light of the world? Well, the only way that can be is because Jesus lives in us through the Holy Spirit filling us. And when we recognize that, and when we begin to open our hearts up to him, we see him seeing us, and we experience that love and acceptance of his, of his blessing in our lives, then we begin to see other people the way he sees them. And there are gonna be moments in which other people are gonna see Jesus through our eyes. There are going to be moments in which you and I carry the atmosphere of God's presence with us into a room. In fact, we do that everywhere we go. Do you know that if you know Jesus, if you've opened your heart to Jesus, if you've come to a point in your life where you've said yes to Jesus, you've invited him into your life, and the Holy Spirit is in you, 
Everywhere you go, you carry an atmosphere with you, a spiritual atmosphere. And, and it, God's presence just radiates out from us wherever we go. And so when we walk into a room, when you walk into a room, whatever's happening in that room, you're carrying God's presence into that room. God's revealed presence. And as you and I come to grips with that and really begin to understand that, and, and we're just, we're cooperating with it, and we're just saying, yes, Lord, just reveal yourself here right now. Reveal your presence here right now. There's a sense in which other people are going to see Jesus. And whether they respond to Jesus, whether they want to see Jesus seeing them, depends upon their own heart. But for you and for me, we carry Jesus with us. And we want to reveal Jesus to others. Now, one of the, one of the um, founding values for this church, uh, uh, which, we, which was started in 2001, was this whole idea of atmosphere, this whole idea of presence. And we longed to be part of a church body where God's presence resided, where it, where it wasn't just when we worshiped. It wasn't just when there was a, a, great, a, a great sermon, uh, you know, on those rare occasions when that happens or when something really wonderful happens, but that just because God's people worship here, when you walk in, you start to sense God's presence and you start to feel God's presence. And you, and you can feel God's presence physically. You can feel God's presence physically. You can feel God's presence. Uh, you can see God's presence spir- spiritually in the Holy Spirit with spiritual eyes but to sense and feel God's presence so that we would say that what we want to be is a church that welcomes people into the presence of Jesus. That we just welcome people into the presence of Jesus because there's healing in his presence and there's freedom in his presence and there's the opportunity to experience the freedom and the healing and the forgiveness that comes through the kingdom that Jesus came here to establish. And so we want this to be a place where God's presence resides. And, and so when you come, as you're coming and as you're walking in, just pray that. Just Holy Spirit, come. Just reveal your presence here today. Re- not because this building is holy or anything like that. Not because this is a sanctuary. No, the church body itself, the people, we are the temple. We are the sanctuary. But we're gathered here and so we pray that God's presence would be revealed here. And so what happens as, as Jesus has seen them and they've seen Jesus seeing them, uh, it's really important to recognize this, that God wants to see you more than you want to be seen by him. Okay, when we're talking about this, seeing Jesus and seeing Jesus see me, Sometimes uh, we have this notion, and, and there's, a, there's like a verse in the Old Testament that says, when you seek me with all your heart, you'll find me. And, you, you re- and it makes it sound like, boy, God's kind of like hanging out you know, off in the background, and he wants to make it hard for us. He wants to know we're really serious, and so we just got to really seek him hard. And, and he's not as interested in finding us as we are in finding him. But, you know, the Bible also, and, and I think that's a misunderstanding of that passage. I think all, all he's saying there is, look, when you just open your heart up and, and you have a true heart, an honest heart, you're going to find me. But there's a place in the Old Testament that says that God's eyes, Second, Second Chronicles 16.9, says that God's eyes are constantly searching the entire planet 
to find people who would loyally follow him. That's kind of my rough translation. But the part about the eyes, God's eyes, it says, are constantly searching this planet to find people who would be loyal followers of his. And it goes on to say so that he can show his power on their behalf. And so God's eyes are open and looking, and he's looking for you. Jesus said that God's constantly looking for worshipers that would worship in spirit and in truth. And so to understand this, that it's not just us looking for Jesus and we can't find him, it's Jesus is looking for us. And you need to know that. I want you to know that. If, if, if you haven't found Christ yet, if you haven't accepted him yet into your heart, then know that he's here today and, and he wants to come into your life. But if you, if you know Jesus, some of us have been believers for a long time, and, and maybe you have this notion that you just can't connect with God because God's distant somehow. He doesn't want to be distant. He's right here. He's right here. He's searching for you as ardently as you are searching for him, and even more so. And so this, this, this powerful thing happens when we see Jesus seeing us. In uh, Ephesians 1.18 talks about the Holy Spirit's presence and how he opens our eyes. And so it says, I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened. The eyes of the heart, so these are inner eyes, spiritual eyes. The eyes of your heart may be enlightened so that you may know the hope to which he's called you. So that you may know the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints. And so do I feel like I'm missing something in the Christian life? If you do... Here's the prayer. Holy Spirit, open my eyes to see more of Jesus. Let me see more of Jesus. Even pray, let me see Jesus seeing me. Holy Spirit, open my eyes so that I can see Jesus seeing me, so that I can understand this hope that I have and the riches that I have through knowing Christ. That, that's what God wants to do. That's what he wants to give to us. And, and that's the beginning right there of discipleship, uh, to, to have the Holy Spirit open our eyes to see. Now, what do they do? What happens next? Well, these two guys, after they've spent the day with Jesus, the very next thing they do is they go get their friends. You know, they, they did, it, it wasn't like a stretch for them to do this. It wasn't hard for them to do this. It, they didn't have to muster a, whole, a bunch of strength and energy to go get their friends. They had seen Jesus and they had seen Jesus seeing them. And that changes you. When that happens, and so it was the most natural thing in the world for them to go get their friends, and in this case, their brothers, and bring their brothers to Jesus. And so the very first one is uh, Simon. Andrew brings Simon, and he brought him to Jesus in uh, John one forty two. He's bringing Simon. This later becomes Peter. You're going to see that here in a moment. He brings Simon to Jesus. Jesus looked at him and said. You are Simon, son of John. You will be called Cephas, which being translated is Peter. And so first it says he looked at him. So Jesus sees Peter and Peter sees Jesus and Peter is seeing Jesus see him. And in that interaction, Jesus just looks at him and says, your name's Simon. We're going to change your name. First time he met him, we're going to change your name. From now on, you're going to be called Peter, which means rock, because I see in you something solid. I see in you something to build on. 
I see in you a character that is going to be consistent and powerful and stable, not going to give up. And uh, the other guys around there knowing Peter is uh, this uh, loud, uh, impulsive guy. I mean, I don't know what they're thinking, but what Jesus is doing is calling out something that God has put in Peter. Even though others might not be able to see it right now, and it might not be obvious, Jesus is calling this out of Peter. And uh, we, we refer to that as identifying the gold in the other person and then calling out the gold in that person, that there's gold in each person. And you look at that person and you say, you know, God, God looks at you and, and he sees that you are a faithful mother. And you know, that just blesses God's heart that you are, you, you've been a faithful mother or, or that God, God looks at you and God knows that, boy, you have integrity. There's integrity in you. There's integrity in you, and that blesses God's heart. What we're doing is calling out the gold in the other person. And I mean, what a wonderful way to bless other people, and and what a simple way to speak even prophetically. This is kind of like a prophetic type of a thing that Jesus is doing here to other people. But we're called, like Jesus did this, to do it ourselves at times, and it's something we can grow in. We're not all at the same place in this. I understand that. But it's something that we can be open to. And it's something that we can just say, God, I want to love people like Jesus loved people. That's all. I just want to love them like Jesus loved them. And then see how Jesus loved people. And then say, okay, God, I'm willing, just like these two two disciples were willing to leave John and follow Jesus. I'm willing to follow. Just show me a simple step I can take. And take that simple step. But he's calling out the gold in Peter's life here. And... He's defining who Peter is. And here's the deal. When you see Jesus and you see him seeing you, then who you are is defined by who he says you are. It's defined by the look in his eye. It's no longer defined by my past or my failures or what other people have said to me in the past that might have been tearing me down. It's no longer defined by those things. Who I am is now defined by Jesus and who he says I am. And so uh, as, as it goes on, back to John 1, what we see next is this. Next, uh, Philip finds his brother, Nathaniel, and he says, Nathaniel, we found the Messiah. And Nathaniel says, oh yeah, where's he from? And Philip says, Nazareth. And Nathaniel, Nathaniel cynically comments, and he says, can anything good come out of Nazareth? Are you kidding me? And what does Philip say to him? He says this. You see this in the passage right here, uh, John 1, 46 to 49. Philip just says, come and see. Okay, that, that's like the very best evangelistic approach you can have. Just well, come and see. You Come and see for yourself. You come, you come and evaluate this. No big arguments, no lengthy debates. Just, we found this, here's what I believe he is, can't be, well, come and see. And so he brings his brother Nathaniel to Jesus, and something really powerful happens. Come and see, said Philip, and when Jesus saw Nathaniel approaching, he does the same thing to Nathaniel a little differently than he did to Peter. He says this, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit, no guile, no foolishness, no fooling around with this guy. 
And he goes on, and Nathaniel says, well, how do you know me? Nathaniel asked, and Jesus answered, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Then Nathaniel declared, Rabbi, you are the son of God. You are the king of Israel. So Jesus sees Nathaniel, and what does he say to Nathaniel? See, now if Nathaniel had been my son, and I had heard him say that about Nazareth, you know, can anything good come out of Nazareth? I probably would have taken him aside and said, now son, don't be negative. Don't be so judgmental. Yeah, I know Nazareth isn't the best, you know, top city in Israel, but give them a break and don't be cynical. But Jesus doesn't do any of that. In, in fact, Jesus flips the whole thing around. And when he could have challenged Nathaniel for his cynicism, instead he looks at Nathaniel and says, here's an honest man. Here's a guy who with a good heart says what he's thinking. Here's a man with some integrity. Here's a man with some transparency, no deceit in him. What you see is what you get. And he recognizes that Nathaniel's coming at this whole thing with a good heart. So again, he's calling out the gold in Nathaniel, just speaking that to him. And so he sees Nathaniel. Nathaniel sees him. Nathaniel sees Jesus seeing him. And, and he says, well, yeah, I have a reputation for that. Or, or yeah, I guess you're right. I am like that. How do you know? How do you know that? And so Jesus takes it a step further and, and, he, and he says to him, before, before your brother even called you, I saw you sitting under that tree. And that just blows Nathaniel away. I mean, this, this is what we would probably refer to technically as what the Bible might call a word of knowledge. Some information that Jesus knew because the Holy Spirit gave it to him or because the Holy Spirit had given him a revelation of this, that that he saw him, literally, that's what Jesus says. But all of these words of knowledge, when, when, when God reveals something to us that we couldn't know any other way, or when he gives us a spontaneous, at the moment, wisdom, insight into a situation, uh, all of these types of things are really fall under the broad umbrella of prophetic type uh, ministry. Anything that is revelation, anything that's God speaking to us at the moment has, has falls under the broad category of prophetic ministry. And so Jesus is, is really giving him this prophetic type of insight. I saw you before. And then Nathaniel responds by saying, you're the Messiah. And just based on that, he says, you are God's Messiah. And so this, this is how a, a good heart responds. When truth comes and when cynicism is rejected, just honesty, just honesty, and truth comes, it's received. And then what happens next is that um, Jesus says, it's not in the passage here, but Jesus says this to him. He says, so you believe based upon what I just said to you? You believe based upon the fact that I saw your character and called that out and the, that I said I saw you under the fig tree? You believe because of that? He says, you're going to see far greater things than this. You're going to see far greater. And there's a principle in this. And the principle is this, that if we want to see more, if, if I want to have 
my eyes open to more. Not only do I ask God to open my eyes through the Holy Spirit, but I have to be thankful for the things I'm getting. I have to be thankful for where I do see God working. I have to be thankful and acknowledge where I do see God speaking to me. Does that make sense? When I'm thankful for these smaller things, then God blesses me with more. But if I'm not thankful for the small thing, then God's not going to entrust more to me. It's not that he doesn't want to. It's just that the, the way it's designed, I'm thankful for this, this little revelation of God's goodness. This little, this little revelation of God's kingdom, I'm thankful for that, and I acknowledge that, and I receive it, and then God shows me more of his kingdom. He shows me more of his truth. And so they came, and they, and they brought uh, Jesus. They brought their friends to Jesus, their brothers to Jesus, and, um, and, and bringing them into the presence of Jesus is everything. That's everything. You know, one of the, one of the to take this back again, this thought came to me this morning, um, one of the things that we used to say and, and still do say in our uh, Vineyard 101 class and, and other key things where we're talking about the vision of this church and why we're here, one of the things that, that uh, God gave to us was that we wanted people to come here because they have a friend whose life was changed here. Okay, you think about that. We, we've always wanted this church to be a place that people come because they have a friend. And that friend has met Jesus here. That friend has seen Jesus and seen Jesus seeing them. And their heart is healed and their heart is freed and the guilt is gone. Or the limp is gone. Or the bitterness is gone. And their friend can see a difference in them because they see Jesus in them. And then it's so easy to say, well, come. Come with me. I'll show you the place I found Jesus. And so inviting and welcoming people into the healing presence of Christ. And, and, and us being a church body that doesn't grow because we have the best advertising campaign, although there's nothing wrong with advertising for churches. I'm not speaking against that, but just at the core, we, we want there to be a reality of God's presence here that changes people's lives. And that that's ultimately what draws us all together and brings us here. And so how do we fulfill our purpose? Why are we here well, we're here to know Jesus. We're here to carry Jesus with us. We need him in us to fulfill the mission that he's given, that he has given us. And, and that happens when I see Jesus and I see him seeing me. And so just to have a heart that says, yeah, yeah, I want that, Lord. I want that. I want to see more of you. I want to be thankful for the small evidences of your work in my life. And, and so you think of this morning, and I, I don't know what, what evidence, small, maybe you got a green light when you didn't expect one. Just, God, thank you for your goodness in that. Thank you that you provided that. You know, maybe someone held the door open for you at the grocery store. Okay, God, thank you for that. That was an act of kindness, and, and I appreciate that. You know, maybe you were reading the Bible, and there was a passage that just blessed you. You saw, some, you saw an insight that you've never seen before, and it excited your heart. And you just say, Jesus, thank you for that. Thank you for that. So whatever, we're thankful for the things that he, that he provides, and we see more, and then we carry more openly his presence, and, and we release more of his presence into the atmosphere around us so that we impact our world and fulfill our mission. But we're going to worship now, okay? So uh, this is a time where <clears throat> what we want to do is just really focus on Jesus, and worship team's going to be coming up, but um, th this is a time to say, Jesus, show me, 
I want to see you. I want to see you see me. I want to see your. I want to see the look in your eye. I, I, I want to see. I want to see your heart for me and your love for me. And so I, I'm just coming to you right now to worship you. That's one of the reasons why uh, we. I close my eyes during worship. The only time I have my eyes open is if I have to read the words on the screen because I don't know the song. But it's not about watching other people or, or, or anything. For one thing, when I close my eyes, I'm not distracted by other people. But it just a- enables me just to say, okay, Jesus, this is you. I'm focused on you. And, and, and I'm here to honor you and to worship you and to lift your name up. So would you stand with me? And we're going to pray and then uh, just go right into worship. Lord Jesus, uh, thank you that you called these disciples this way. Thank you for how simple it was. Thank you that you saw them and they saw you and there's that exchange of heart where your heart pours in and Lord, thank you that we can know you. Pour your heart into us. Reveal more of yourself to us as we worship you now. Holy Spirit, come here and reveal your presence. Make your presence known, the presence of Jesus known. Amen.